Good afternoon, dear listeners. You are tuned in to CJSR FM 88.5, and this is Moving Radio. I'm your host, Christian Zip, and join me, please, won't you, for the next one half hour as we take a look at local Canadian and independent cinema. On this week's show, uh, an interview I tried to do a little while ago didn't work out technically. Now I worked out the bugs. Uh, it's with Andrea Besa and Trent Wilkie. We sat down and discussed Andrea Bass's new project. It's called FMDL. That is uh, F-bomb. That's right. Expletive My Dating Life. And uh, it's going to be a series of shorts. The first one is up on YouTube already. We talk about it. Uh, it is called Cooties. And uh, we discuss the future of FMDL and all kinds of things, too. On top of that, I also have a conversation with Rick Gustafson, who is uh, one of the founding members of the Film and Video Arts Society of Alberta. And last week's FavaFest, he was celebrated for uh, all his service, as well as his amazing body of work. And we discussed that and what it's uh, been like being uh, you know, in the business for like 30 years and living as a filmmaker in Edmonton. And finally, we also talked to our good friend Kevin Martin as it's that time of the month again. That's right, Dead Fest is coming up right away. Not this Friday, April 4th, but next week. That's right. It's the second Friday of every month at the Metro Cinema presented by Dead Fest. And this month, oh, it's a classic, ladies and gentlemen. It's Big Trouble in Little China. If you don't know what I'm talking about, then just keep listening and you will find out more. If you do, you will be there with me, seated maybe somewhere in the theater next to me. And many tears of joys will flow from both of our eyes as we enjoy the glory that was John Carpenter's Big Trouble in Little China. So it's a loaded local edition of Moving Radio with Andrew Besa, Trent Wilkie, Rick Gustafson, and of course, our good friend Kevin Martin. It's all that and a little bit more on this week's edition of Moving Radio with me, your host, Christian Zip. Joining me on the phone today on Moving Radio is a man who's been very patient with me. I've been trying to get him, get a hold of him and track him down. It's Rick Gustavson. Uh, you may have heard of him, and you know what? Probably even more than likely you've seen a lot of his work because Rick has been working in and around Edmonton and even the globe for the past 39 years in filmmaking. Rick, welcome to the program. Thank you. Yeah, it's, it's a pleasure to have you here. Um, you know, one big thing that's really cool is that you are definitely a, uh, an important part of FavaFest, which kicked off uh, March 25th to the 29th, uh, so much so, in fact, that they even did a little toast to you, Rick, where they, they look back at your 39-year history um, in independent documentarian, um, you know, the fact that you've shot almost everywhere around the world and that you're one of the founding members of FAVA. Um, how did you feel when they first told you, they're like, yeah, we want to have a night and it's going to be about you, Rick. Were you, were you okay with it? You're like, oh, come on, guys. <laughs> well, I probably would have talked my way out of it if I could have. I'm not sort of a uh, person who likes to be up front. That's why I'm behind the camera. It's the safest place in the world to be, you know? Um, so no, I mean, uh, what I, I think it's great though, that they are recognizing, you know, members and people from over the years. I mean, you know, 
filmmaking is uh, hugely collaborative in nature, and so that you know that whole that whole aspect really in, uh, includes everybody on the crew and everybody involved, really. Although I know it's usually the directors or producers who are honored. Uh, really, you know, um, it's, it's a collaborative effort of many people put together. And so, by extension, you know, Fava, which is a, a film collective, is a, to a greater degree part of that collaboration. Why have maybe you chose to really just focus on on mostly being a cinematographer as opposed to, you know, it seems like everybody's like, oh, I want to direct, you know, or they want to, you know, I want to write more stuff. You've really focused yourself on documentaries and uh, cinematography. Not that I'm questioning the choice. Mm-hmm. I'm just, I just want to know uh, what your, your connection is to that and why you're so passionate about it. Well, I mean, when I started, it was a lot different than it is now. You know, it was all film. It was uh, very inaccessible compared to now uh, in 20 BD, as I would say, before digital. And, um, you know, everything was shot on film and it took a, a large, you know, many years of experience and a large degree of, of expertise to be trusted with, you know, the expense and, and complexity of, of shooting film back then. And so I didn't start off being a cameraman. I started off doing, you know, like doing sound actually and uh, doing other technical roles. And over the years, I've actually done many different technical roles and working as the, as the, the technology changed even, right? Maybe it was more that I had, you know, I was more technically uh, inclined and I never did, you know, I did a couple of, I produced a couple of projects and lost my shirt on them. It's very difficult. And so uh, to make a living, I mostly wound up... Uh, doing technical roles as they came along. We're speaking on the phone today with Rick Gustavson. Uh, he is being honored as part of Fava Fest that's taking place. Uh, it was from March 25th all the way through the 29th. And uh, he's also a founding member of the Film and Video Arts Society of Alberta. Rick, you mentioned a little bit before uh, this idea of like being honored at an event like that, um, how you kind of like to stay in the background and the fact that film is a communal um, process. Maybe that kind of answers the question already, but I wanted to talk to you maybe about what's your own personal philosophy about film and about capturing people, you know, and documenting their lives. Do you have any kind of like personal philosophy as a cinematographer? You know, I started in documentary and it's still my love. I think I love to do documentary. It's, it's uh, very rewarding, very fulfilling. But, you know, I've worked in quite a few dramas as well. And uh, there's different things that I enjoy about about either of them. In doing a drama, you have, and you know, behind the camera, you have almost absolute control over the lighting, and and you can do it many times until it's perfect. Whereas documentary is totally the other side of it. You really have no control, and you're out to capture the moment as it's happened. Cinematography is both rewarding and heartbreaking in many ways. When, when you have the moment, when you capture the moment, whether it's documentary or, or uh, drama, it's um, the hair on the back of your neck stands up or whatever. You feel it. You know it. You've captured a moment. That's a beautiful thing, right? Now, it's much harder, of course, to arrive at that moment in documentary. You know, it depends on, I mean, basically you hold your breath and wait for the moment to, to, to arrive and hope you capture it. And in drama, you many, many people work everybody on the crew and the actors, everybody worked towards that, capturing that moment. 
However, I still think that, uh, I still feel that documentary is the most rewarding in terms of being engaged also with your subject in a different way than you would on, on a set, on a dr- dramatic set. You, you really do get, often, depending on the na- nature of the subject, you certainly get involved in the, you know, the lives perhaps and uh, involved with the, the, the characters, the, the real people that you're working with. And that can be very fulfilling. Speaking on the phone today with Rick Gustafson, he is our guest, and uh, he is a major part of the Film and Video Arts Society of Alberta, and he's being honored at this year's FavaFest 2014. You know, you, you've got a, a long body of work on, on a lot of stuff that you've worked on. Uh, we were kind of talking a little bit before, and I was asking you about maybe what was one of the projects that you were most you know, proud of or that, you know, you really felt like it was a great moment in time for you. And uh, and why don't you tell us a little bit, because you didn't really pick one particular project, which I thought was a really fascinating answer. Back in 1979, I was invited to work on an expedition, um, a British expedition. And we traveled, we were in Panama and Papua New Guinea majorly, and, um, and then on other expeditions. So I was been in a similar expedition, a British expedition. Uh, I was in Chile and Easter Island and places like that. And I think that it broadened my horizons, those experiences, mixing with people, uh, seeing cultures, you know, diving into the most unknown parts of the world was, I mean, aside from the craft and the challenge of filmmaking, it was the social experience combined and living in jungles and living on a ship, a lot of things involved in that expedition experience was, you know, probably fundamentally changed my worldview, if that's not trite to say. (laughs) To specifically pick out one of those, I wasn't prepared for that, so I would have had to think about that. That's what I've enjoyed most, perhaps, in the filmmaking experience, is um, being parachuted into some unknown well, Rick, uh, congratulations on the recognition from Fava on uh, what has been a great career so far, and I'm sure will continue on for a very long time, hopefully. And uh, thanks on behalf of all the filmmakers. You know, you've helped inspired with your work with Fava, and, and hopefully the many, many people in the future you're going to be able to inspire with uh, what you've helped start in this city as well. Our guest on the show today has been Rick Gustafson. Uh, oh, sorry, I blew that one, Rick. Rick Gustafson. There we go. <laughs> Only in Norway. <laughs> <laughs> and around the building, I guess. You know, yeah. around, around the office. Our guest has been Rick today. Rick, congratulations, and uh, thank you so much for all the work you do and uh, everything you shared with us. And thank you. dating life. Exactly. And it's a little short film that you can watch on YouTube. It's actually, there's going to be a series of them. Is that correct? All right. So fill, uh, fill in people about uh, what FMDL is, Andrea, and uh, and then we'll talk to Loki at some point. Or we could just not talk to him at all. We could just, yeah. <laughs> 
هلا هریستیان هلا هریستیان FMDL is uh, a three part mini series three parts so far we'll see what happens of short films based on bad dates I've had but each of them's got a little bit of a surreal twist for you, were you like, this is something that I found highly amusing? Did you feel like, I need to exercise this monkey of dating I'm carrying on my back? <laughs> what, was, what was the inspiration for you being like, I gotta, I gotta get this out of me? Or was everyone telling you, your horrible stories are hilarious. We need to get this on tape. No, you know what? So it kind of started with a 365-day blog I wrote. Um, started on my 26th birthday and went for a year straight through and it was all based on life lessons so naturally a lot of the stories ended up being about like shitty dates or just like broken hearts or terrible romances or whatever um, and I think in writing that blog I kind of came to embrace my awkward I've had a lot I'm like an awkward magnet I've had a lot of really awkward shit happen to me more more so than normal shit for sure <laughs> Yeah, and it uh, I, it started to strike me um, how much awesome writing material I have in my in my normal awkward life. So um, it just uh, yeah, it just it struck me that those little moments, those weird dates and awkward moments, uh, make for excellent little short films. Um, they can be packaged in a few minutes and still have a lot of punch and seemed like something fun to do, so I did it. All right, excellent. One of the stars of the first episode is Nana and Trent Wilkie. He of uh, the Metro Shorts at the Metro Cinema, which everyone should see once a month. You might even get to see FMDL like that if you did. Yeah, you can point at stuff that's okay. Uh, what was your role in all of this, the, the first film of FMDL? What, what did you do? Other than just be incredibly charismatic, uh, beautiful to photograph, and extremely kissable. Well, I played uh, the house in which the whole video was shot in front of. I also, at the end, played the butterfly that gave birth to the world. I'll tell the truth. I'll tell the truth. I played the guy in it. Clearly, Trent Wilkie's character is based on an actual incident in your life. Yes. Based on it. Okay, so maybe take us a little bit through uh, what Wilkie's character does in this one with uh, the lovely, lovely Lindsay. In Cooties? Yeah. Wow. Well, um, episode. episode one, Cooties. Yeah, that's right. I'm, I made him promise he would do that on the show. Thanks, Trent. You're welcome. Um, episode one, Cooties, is based on a, a really awkward non-date I went on. It actually wasn't a date. And uh, and the guy in, the, in this um, wonderful life experience made me drive him home and then sort of demanded a, a goodnight kiss, if you will. So... I don't, as payment for what? I drove so, him home. Uh, well, for you allowing him to, to drive As payment home. for the privilege? Yeah, of... like it was a good time. Like he was like, <laughs> hey, so now that I've given you an extra 20 minutes, give me some shirts. Sure, sure. I think, I think that it was more about the gentleman's expectations 
because I think that uh, his approach to dating is more of a, uh, a metaphysical approach to existence in general because he believes that there's a cause and effect to everything. And uh, the supposition of, uh, well, the, the diligent iconography supposes that when he drops a girl off, the girl would reciprocate uh, at least gas money yeah. in kisses. Yeah, that's what it is. Yeah. I dropped him off. That's not that's not how it yeah, worked in the video though. Yeah. Yeah. Unless that's a euphemism, Andrea, I don't think that's what happened. I know you were there, but I acted it, so I know what really happened. Yeah, exactly. Thank you, Christian. You're right. When you look at something like uh, going through and doing this film, right? We talked about this before in the last conversation. That um, what is it about maybe having the time on set to be able to take care of like, doing a short film works for you as compared to doing a lot of theater, which both of you guys have a great deal of experience in. And you guys were both in an amount of film too. What is it that you like about being able to take care of a short film as opposed to working for months on a play? I think my favorite thing is just the um, the life of it is so much longer. Uh, it didn't it didn't really occur to me until quite recently when I was I think I was posting something on our Twitter about my first short film, Flat Life, and it kind of hit me. I was like, wow, this is going to be on YouTube forever, or as long as YouTube exists, or as long as the internet is out there um, before the end of the world, because that's going to happen. Probably tomorrow, but so it's there for another few hours. Uh, no, but I just I loved the idea that anybody in the world can watch it, and they can watch it well past the time that we make it, and the story will keep living. And I, I, don't know, I, I really dig that. And there's more with with uh, the difference between stage and video is that she doesn't like it. She can go back and reshoot things. She can uh, massage it more with, uh, with music or, or more uh, thematic lighting. Whereas on stage, if you, you know, you can rehearse it all you want, but if someone vomits on stage, it's still going to be that play where that guy puked on stage again. And it, the play wasn't about puking, even though I've written that several times. But I can't puke on command. So what I was trying to say was that if you get up the first time, you know, you can't do it again. Whereas a film, you can, you can make it as good as you want it to be. Uh, it just takes a little bit longer if you need to reshoot stuff. I don't know about you. I, I constantly just feel like the second I have to watch myself, I am eternally disappointed in every choice I made. Oh no! <laughs> no, it's once you've screwed up on stage. Like I've never ever screwed up on stage before, no. so I can only no. guess. Um, but. Um, I've read diaries of people that have screwed up on stage before, and I guess it can be pretty gripping, but uh, once you, you can't, theater doesn't translate well to video, unless it's shot like a movie. Uh, you can put a, 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 a camera on, on a stage and try to videotape a play, but it's always gonna look like a play that's being videotaped. Whereas with skits, with short dramatic pieces like what Andrea's uh, translating, she can get the lighting the way she wants, she can edit out certain things, and that's the interesting part, is that it makes you look better as an actor, especially when you have someone who's A, a good writer like Andrea, and she gets a good group of people together to make it, uh, to shoot it, to make the lighting good, and make the sound good, so. Because I'm really a bad, bad actor. Like, 
<laughs> in fact, speaking of bad actors, uh, the girl I was acting with, uh, Lindsay McNeil, she couldn't remember her lines. She spoke Swedish for 15 minutes. Um, she just kept eating snowballs, and that wasn't written in to the to the skit. So they're basically no. I don't even know where she found them. Like she brought snowballs with her to eat. How screwed up is that? Anywho, but yeah, like Andrea made her look great because she's actually like seven foot nine and has three sets of teeth. It's weird. It's weird. If what? you had to uh, do your own FMDL, your bad dating experience, because I know you've got you've got a much more checkered dating past than someone like myself, <laughs> who has been uh, really monogamous for far. Far longer than anyone else I know. Yeah, that's for sure. So, what would be if you had your own uh, bad dating experience? You had to do maybe an episode of. What would the Wilkie FMDL be? They'd be the exact same things that Andrea's writing, except it'd be way more nicer towards the guy, because I'm the guy making all of the girls uncomfortable. <laughs> Next question, please. Let's move on. Oh, if only you had been there. Um, <laughs> I guarantee you no one would be on anyone else's side but mine. Uh, no, I... You know what? I didn't even actively think about that. It was totally... If you watch Cooties up until near the end, that's verbatim what happened to me. Yeah, I don't know. Episode two's got a little bit of an edge for the guy, I yeah. feel like. So, you know. When I was dating, though, I I would actually just say, well, this isn't working out, is it? And then I would say, well, you know, I'd either leave, pay the bill, or try to get a handshake out of the deal, <laughs> and then just go. And I actually remember actually looking over at one young lady and like, this has gone to shit. I'm sorry. I thought I was being funny, and you really don't think I'm funny. So then I just shook her hand and left. And now I'm married to her, and she's having my baby. What a lovely way to say that she loves me. As per usual, because you demanded people, it is my monthly conversation with Kevin Martin, and as we are prone to do, we are sitting here in the lobby DVD Blu-ray slash everything's shop. Cur your own curio emporium. That is very true. It's turning more and more into a curium every day with VHS tapes flopping around and just got shirts in here now. Just random stuff everywhere. It's getting crazy. That's true. That's true. We'll, we'll talk about that stuff too. But uh, let's talk about the Dead Fest screening that's going to be happening this month. I'm very excited because it's a John Carpenter classic. Big Trouble, Little China. Well, you know, Zippy, we're all pretty excited. To be honest, I mean, we've done the Carpenter-Russell connection already twice, so we figure we did the thing, we did Escape from New York, we don't talk about Escape from L.A., so we just, it's time. It's time for Big Trouble, Little China. A movie that over the last 20-something years finally has found some love, uh, but obviously we both know when it first came out, <laughs> it was a box office disaster in the summer of 86. And why it did not do well? Love some say be lack of promotion by the studio. Mm -hmm. 
But as you eloquently said before we started recording, a little other movie came out around that same time that might have crushed everybody. <laughs> yeah, well, Aliens and from the same studio as well. That is true, yeah. Wow, I felt bad. You, know, you always feel bad for Carpenter. It felt like he always got hooped. Because The Thing, great movie, loved by all, bombed. Big Trouble, great movie, loved by all, bombed. Starman, I don't even know if that bombed. I don't know if that movie's loved That's by all. a little bit of success there. Jeff Bridges got an Academy Award nomination for that, so... He did, eh? He did okay, yeah. Yeah, wow, it's crazy. Good for John, yeah. Yeah. But um, it's, uh, it's funny, because, you know, do a little bit of research or whatever. I guess Kurt Russell originally was really terrified. He didn't want to take the role, because he, I guess, had a series of box office flops up until then. He didn't want to be responsible for that flop. But <laughs> I think the bromance between Carpenter and Russell, Carpenter didn't care. He's like... You're my boy, Kurt. You're my boy. And, you know, I mean, how many commentaries have those guys done together on the DVDs or the Blu-rays for these movies? Yes. You know, between John Carpenter just lighting cigarettes every 10 minutes, which you can <laughs> easily hear. I don't know if Kurt's, like, you know, sneaking a cigarette so Goldie's not noticing. Uh, that's the only time he can do, like, oh, John, we got to do our commentary so I can uh, have a smoke. I told Goldie I'd quit. I have for years, but around you, I might as well smoke. It's secondhand big time anyways. But uh, no, this is um, a fun movie. Um, I don't know about you, but like this movie, it kind of you know um, encapsulates like the 1980s. I don't think you could make a Big Trouble in China or remake it, I guess, and get that same kind of feeling. And granted, we're a little bit older, and we probably saw it when it first came out when we were younger. But even for the younger generation uh, out there uh, that are listening, possibly, if you've seen the movie late night TV or rented it or whatever, I mean, it's a fun movie to watch with your buds. And it has a lot of quotable lines going on, too. Oh, yeah. yeah. Absolutely. Uh, the movie, of course, we're talking about is Big Trouble in Little China. It is screening as part of Dead Fest's monthly presentation at the Garno Cinema. That's right. It's the Metro Cinema. Mm-hmm. And uh, that's going to be going down on Friday, April 10th. Did I get the date right? Oh, you're so wrong. 11th? 11th, yes. Ah, so close. Look at Friday, your calendar, my man. <laughs> My adding is not good. Friday, April 11th, and the timing of the screening is? The timing of the screening is 11 o'clock, and we will start putting something on the screen at 11, but prior to actually showing Big Trouble in China, we, every now and then we do like to promote local filmmakers. Um, uh, usually it would, a lot, obviously, yeah, usually it's been a lot of the housey heathens, you know, Tim and Cody, but uh, another one of our filmmaker buddies who's been doing uh, his thing in the city for a while, Matt Marshall, he, over the last five or six years, he's been uh, shooting a, a series of uh, shorts called Middlemen, which is a um, dark comedy gangster uh, series that he's been doing. And uh, they've, they've definitely gotten more evolved and, and more high budget, I guess. And uh, the latest one that he did, which he shot last summer, he uh, we're going to like let people see it for the first time in front of Big Trouble Little China. Um, it should be a lot of fun, um, and uh, I'm not going to lie, Matt asked me to have a small part in it, uh, so I said yes and went out to some CD industrial warehouse last August to play a, a, a CD-used gun salesman, basically, <laughs> who has no idea what he's talking about, and uh, these scary Russian mobsters show up. So, um, it, yeah, it should be a good time. You know, Matt, uh, he definitely puts a lot of dedication to his work, and, uh, you know, he's helped us out with our projects, with props and stuff, so it's just... Another reason to come down and support because there's a lot of sweet talent in this city and um, Big Trouble in China is going to be a blast and, and Matt Short's going to be great. And um, yeah, it should just be a, a, a real fun time. And did I mention mm-hmm. that the cut of Big Trouble in China that we're showing is once again, Fox is sending us a brand new 
digital DCP. Uh, if you don't know what a DCP is, it just means it's going to be the sexiest, cleanest version of this movie you'll, you'll ever see, really. All right. Now, mm-hmm. people missed out last time at the screening uh, when you guys were kind of doing your your fundraiser evening. Uh, yeah. Can people pick up copies of the DVD? Can they get some swag from last? You know video what? Store? Yeah. You know what? If uh, if you missed uh, our swag from the last video store, whatever, I have kick around the shop. We'll probably have a table set up in the lobby again. We got some DVDs left of our short film compilation. I mean, you know, hopefully by the time the uh, the the eleventh of April hits, we'll be able to have some more good news about uh, the production of, of our feature movie. But yeah, if you want to know anything about, you know, what's going on with our little movie that we hopefully will put video stores on the map once again, um, you know, don't don't be shy. Come and ask. And also, I will be selling a fine selection of other titles from my, my humble hole in the ground of a video <laughs> store. Um, I'll have a table set for that too. So it is $10 at the door. There's no advanced ticket sales. And uh, I would advise you, the movie's at 11, including the short, uh, try to get there by 10.30. Get some, get some pops in you, mingle with uh, fellow genre fans, maybe buy a movie or two, support the store. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, yeah, get ready to have a good night with Jack Burton. Yes, you can find him on Twitter. He's uh, the Kevin J. Martin. Yes. He's also at DeadFest. I, right? thought, I thought you were saying you can find Jack Burton on Twitter. I'm like, what? <laughs> Where is that zip? I bet you there's some dude out there. Oh, yeah. All right, that about wraps it up for this week's edition of Moving Radio. Uh, once again, if you want to get connected with the Film and Video Art Society of Alberta, you can hit them up at fava.ca. Hopefully you caught some of FavaFest uh, last week. As well, remember that one week from this Friday, that's right, April 11th, you can catch Big Trouble in Little China at the Metro Cinema. That's right, the Garno Theatre. And on top of that, make sure you also look up Cooties, the first episode of FMDL. It's on YouTube, easy enough to access, and depending on when you're listening to this later on, you may be able to find episode two up online in the very near future. And remember, if you want to catch up on old episodes of Moving Radio, all you got to do is find us on iTunes or on a SoundCloud, and you put in the keywords Moving Radio, you will be opened up to a plethora of old episodes of Moving Radio. Some relevant for you, maybe some not. If you want to follow me on Twitter, you can do that at Moving Radio, and you can also find me on Instagram, same handle, Moving Radio. But coming up next, it's the finest in feminist radio. It's Adam and Eve on the mighty CJSR. CJSR.